something powerful about that name, amen? Just to sing those words and to uh, let them come off of our lips is a powerful, powerful expression of just knowing who he is. Uh, If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John chapter 11, and uh, we'll get there here in just a second. Uh, But let me ask just a question as we begin today, okay? Uh, Don't raise your hands, but I want you to think, how many of you are having a problem with one of your family members? Just think about it. It would probably be the majority of the room that's in here, okay? This is something that we deal with on a regular basis uh, of struggle within family and the context of there. And so this morning, we're in our second sermon on the series, Why Not Now? And the sermon title is, Why Not Fix Our Family Relationships? And so you may, uh, don't, don't leave because everybody knows you don't want to fix them if you get up and leave right now, okay? Uh, but what I'm saying is, this is one of the touchy areas for us. Because family's kind of that off-limits thing. Unless you're family, you can't talk to me. And so listen, I'm your pastor, I am your shepherd, I am somebody that loves you and cares about you and wants to share scripture with you on how to heal the brokenness that may be in your family. But before we do that, how many of you, uh, and you're going to tell your age just a little bit, how many of you watch family sitcoms? Anybody? How many of you have watched them in the past? And so just by, by the age bracket, uh, if you're from the 80s and you've watched the Cosby show, just slip up your hand. I mean, just, okay, a bunch of old people in here, good. Uh, no, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, I'm watching them too. Uh, Family Ties, does anybody remember this one? How many of you are Full House babies? Not Fuller House, Full House. This is the old school version of this. How many of you are Golden Girls? I'm scared of y'all. Uh, just <laughs> the 90s, let me date myself. One of my favorites was a sitcom named Martin. Did anybody remember that? Okay, good. Just a few. Uh, anybody, an Everybody Loves Raymond fan? Okay, all of you guys, good. Uh, the 2000s, we're getting closer and closer to our younger generations. Uh, how many of you are the office sitcom people? Uh, it's funny, when uh, I hired Jared, he asked me a question, and, and this was a couple years ago, and I had gone through all the theological questions and all of the interview and all that stuff, and he said, hey, um, do you watch The Office? And I was like, yeah, I'm the pastor, I'm the boss here. Like, I watch The Office and make sure everything takes place correctly, and he goes, oh. He says, do you watch the show The Office? And I was like, no, I don't, <laughs> I, thought, I had no idea what he was, so that's how old I am. Uh, Big Bang Theory, anybody? Like this is kind of a sitcom. Here's a fun fact. Most of these sitcoms feature some type of complicated family relationship. Let me illustrate this point just for a little bit. If you think of Full House, in the old days of Full House, just say it with me. You know who the problem person in this family is. Ready? Kimmy Gibbler. She's not really family, but she's that neighbor that just kind of shows up and just kind of wrecks things. And it's like, Kimmy, you don't live here. It's this crazy kind of dynamic back and forth that goes along with this. The next one, everybody loves Raymond. Listen, who's the... I love it when I don't even have to speak. 
you get it, you know, this is his mother-in-law. This is Marie. And if you've watched this show, you've probably heard the name Marie so many times that you just want to turn it off at this point. The Big Bang Theory from kind of the early 2000s. Okay, anticlimactic, everybody knows kind of he's the problem. But the reason that these are so entertaining to us and the reason that we'll sit there and watch these for hours is sometimes it relates to our family and it relates to the complicated relationships that we live. All of us have a Kimmy Gibbler around, of, around us. All of us have a Marie. All of us have a Sheldon. All of us have somebody around them. But let me ask you this question. Who's that person in your family? That when they walk in the door, when they walk in the room, and you just go, Now, if you can't think of that person, you are that person. (laughs) Just a fair fun fact. Just so that there's no mystery here this morning. (laughs) Sorry. Let me go a little further. Do you hate that person? Do you, do you just want nothing to do with them? Have you written them off completely? Listen, this environment of ours works within our work environment. Do you get along with your coworkers? Do you get along with the people that are around you? Do you constantly talk about people that you don't like with people that are close to you? Maybe it's you're jealous of that person or what they do or how they exist or how they live. It's interesting to me because we think that family relationships are something that is new to us. Something that is a new problem for us and we haven't unlocked the mystery or the key of how to get through family relationships. But this is something that has been around and I love that scripture gives us examples of complicated family relationships. We don't have to look very far because we can see it with Jesus and his half-brother, James. Now, let me give you just a few things as to why James may have been frustrated growing up in the same household of Jesus. Does anybody have a brother and sister that never gets in trouble? How many of you strongly dislike them? How... How is it that they never get caught? But let me take this a step further. Can you imagine growing up in a household where the child is perfect? Can you imagine Mary and Joseph and how many times they told James, why can't you be like your brother Jesus? He has never sinned. He has never done anything wrong. Why can't you do this? Listen, when I was reading this, I kind of disliked Jesus a little. And I'm a pastor. Can you imagine? So we fast forward to Mark chapter 3 where there's this illustration. And to kind of set the scenario, Jesus is beginning to teach. And the people are following Jesus everywhere saying, teach us more, master. Teach us more. Spend more time with us. Teach us all, of the, all that you know. And they had come to Jesus' house. And Jesus' family was inside eating dinner. And they were disrupting the dinner. 
So Mark chapter 3 and verse 20 and 21, James kind of stands his ground. He says, then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. Now listen, this makes me think that they're from the southern part. Because you don't interrupt a meal down here, right? When his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, he is out of his mind. Leave him alone. Stop listening to the teachings that he is giving to you. Imagine James telling us as followers of Christ, people that are listening to him intently saying, hey, don't listen to him. He's out of his mind. I love James's response. Hey, get out of here so we can eat dinner as a family at peace. You see later on that he was mocked by his brothers in John chapter 7 and verse 5. It says, for not even his brothers believed in him. Imagine that Jesus claiming that he is the Messiah and his brothers here going, no, not him. There's no possible way that I grew up in his household. Now it's interesting that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we see an interaction that Paul is telling them that Jesus appeared after he had died on the cross and resurrected to his brother James. Up to that point in James's life, he had never believed that Jesus was the Christ. And in this moment, he began to look at Jesus as the Christ. And you say, well, Jeff, I can't fix my relationships because I'm not Jesus. <laughs> Good point. We'll move on. John chapter 11 and verse 1 through 4. We see this whole picture in this, this whole span of this chapter of chapter 11 verses 1 to about 46 or 47 is this one story. And so I, I, I prayed about preaching this and just preaching for an hour and a half, uh, but you guys voted differently, so I'll, I'll keep this a little bit short. Well, unless you want me to preach for an hour. Okay, there'll be three people here in 45 minutes, but we'll start here. This information that's given, Jesus receives word from people that he genuinely loves. And in verse 1, it says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. Listen, this is an intense moment of love where she washes his feet and wipes his feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was ill or sick. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he he whom you love is ill. The request that's made there is, please come see my brother. We've seen you heal people. Hey, this is an opportunity to heal not just a, a random stranger, but somebody that you love. Listen to Jesus' response. When Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, let me give you an illustration of how this must have felt for Mary and Martha at this point. Imagine that you came to me as your pastor. You said, Jeff, 
There's an illness that's taking place in somebody I love. They're in the hospital. I don't know what's going to happen to them. And I looked at you and said, they'll be okay. I'll see them later. Now, how many of you would look at me and go, he's a jerk? You go, what? There's no urgency. There's no care. There's no concern. Jeff, you don't understand. I love this person. I care about this person greatly. I go, eh, he'll be all right. If not, it'll be for the glory of God. You go, what did you just say to me? This was Jesus' response. He continued to do the ministry. And if you see this in verse 5 through 16, you see him stay two days longer in a place to continue to minister. It's interesting that he told his disciples after he had gotten this word, he said, hey, we're going back. And the disciples' response was something like this. Hey, don't you know that those people are going to try to kill you if you go back to that place? Jesus kind of gives them this weird understanding of walking during the day versus walking during the night and stumbling at night, not during the day. I love the response of one of the disciples. He goes, sweet, we'll all go back and we'll all die together. You're like, that's a little morbid. But that was the interaction of what was taking place. Jesus ultimately finally goes back to where Mary and Martha are and where Lazarus was. And we pick this up in verse 17. He says, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. You imagine Mary and Martha going, why did you wait so long? The frustration that begins to set in. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. One of the things that happens during this grieving process is that they would come together and they would pray and they would wail and they would just mourn the loss of this loved one. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went up and met him. But I want you to key in on this next verse. But Mary remained seated in the house. Now let me give you two different types of frustration. One is confrontational, where you go immediately confront the situation The other one is, I'm mad, I hope you see it in my face. All of us in here project anger and project frustration differently. I'm one of those guys that when I get mad, I get quiet. I don't want to talk. I want everybody in the house to go, why is he mad? He's so quiet. And then I want you to come ask me because then I'll tell you. Martha was the opposite of that. She wanted resolve. She wanted to take care of it here. So it said, so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, imagine hearing these words, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Can you imagine the weight of those words being expressed to Jesus? 
Jesus' response says, your brother will rise again. There's confusion in this passage of Scripture because Martha understands this as the coming of Christ. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he says these words, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. What is Jesus doing here? He's telling them the gospel message. He's telling Mary and Martha the understanding that whether we live or whether we die, the most important thing in our life is do we believe in Jesus Christ? He says in verse 26, and everyone who believes in me shall never die. That we will have eternity with him in heaven. Then he asks her these words, and I ask you these exact same words. Do you believe this? She says to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. I think we have to be careful to understand that in this context, in this moment, Jesus was helping her understood what it meant to have faith in him. But we can't help but see Mary's frustration. We pick this up in verse 28. Finally, Mary comes into the presence of Jesus and she says the exact same words that Martha does. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have passed away. She was upset. How could he be distracted doing ministry and not saving somebody that she loves? The weight of this is so much that in verse 38, something incredible happens. The whole verse reads these two words. Jesus wept. Now imagine the family dynamics. Jesus is feeling the pain and the emotion of Mary and Martha at the loss of their brother. And in John chapter 11, verse 38 through 44, we see Jesus do something really incredible, really just miraculous. I'll read this to you so that you understand that the conclusion of this story is very different than where they began at. In verse 38, it says, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb, and it was a cave. And a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. In, in other translations, it says, and I love how the King James puts this, he says, It stinketh. Imagine for four days being in this tomb. 
that now the body is stinking and Mary and Martha are trying to kind of protect Jesus going, hey, don't open the tomb. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this on the account of the people that were standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth, come out. Can I tell you something crazy? He came out of the tomb. There's so much evidence with this that in Scripture it says he told somebody to loosen the linens that are on his feet and on his hands. I tell you that so that we would understand the glory in that story is that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. But there's also glory in the fact that he healed a family. That he put the pieces back together. Listen, I want to be just very real with you this morning. Families are so broken these days. I mean, you see hatred and anger and resentment so rampant. And I tell you this. It does not represent the love of Christ. So if you're sitting under the sound of my voice this morning and you have a problem with family members, it is your responsibility to heal it. And you say, Jeff, you don't understand what they've done. I have a family. I understand the dynamics of it more than you'll ever know. Say, Jeff, some things can't be fixed. And I tell you, if Jesus can heal and bring back the dead, he can fix your family. So let me speak just a lot of truth to you. If you're a husband or you're a wife, and you've built up so much resentment towards your spouse... It's time to let it go and show the love of Christ. You say, Jeff, you don't understand who I'm married to. I don't, but I understand who my wife's married to. And if she can forgive, you can forgive. Now, please understand what I'm, what I'm not telling you. I'm not telling you to go back to an abusive relationship I'm not telling you to put yourself in harm's way continually. But what I am telling you is that there's become this 
new epidemic where we run away from people instead of resolving things. It's our part to resolve those things. I love what Ephesians chapter 6 lays this framework in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22 lays the understanding of what it is for us to raise children that are obedient to their parents. And where he says, husbands, love your wives. Look, this is a great command and a great understanding for us that we would genuinely love. For some, it may be a brother or a sister that you haven't spoken to in years. For some, it may be a mother or father that you went your wayward way and you're continually trying to punish them. So the title of this message is, Why Not Now? Imagine that question for Mary and Martha. Why didn't Jesus come back when we asked him to? <laughs> why, why wouldn't he just stop ministering for a couple of days and come back and heal my brother? I ask you in the same way, why if you as a believer, why won't you fix your family relationships? It starts here. Why not believe in Jesus? Imagine that the closest people to Jesus were his brothers. And at one point they didn't believe, but eventually they saw him for who he was, which is the Christ. I got to be honest with you. There's nobody in this room that knows more about me as a child than my brother does. Sometimes the hardest person to convince is him. I love that Mary and Martha believed in Jesus Christ. Listen, there may be some holdups in your life today. You may be mad at God and you don't want to believe in him because something has happened that you don't think is fair. And I promise you, Mary and Martha saw that exact same thing and said, Jesus, this is not fair. You love Lazarus. Why didn't you heal him? I tell you that Mary and Martha didn't understand what God was doing at the time. And most of the time, we don't either. And this is where that step of faith comes in. God, knowing that you're working. God, knowing that you're going to heal us from this. Maybe one of your holdups is you're similar to where Jesus' brothers were and you don't know if he's really real. As I was reading this, I went down one of the rabbit holes that I typically go down when I'm studying. And it's interesting because I couldn't find one person that saw Jesus' resurrected body that didn't believe in him. I think so many of us will say we believe, but do we genuinely place our faith and trust in him? Because a lot of times the shakiness of our faith comes when something happens that we don't want to happen. I tell you, this is the start. If you came here this morning and you don't believe in Jesus Christ, 
This is the part I want you to understand. He is real. He is at work in the same way that he expressed it to Mary and Martha. He's asking you this morning, do you believe in me? And my prayer for you is that it is a resounding yes. I believe in you. Second area of this is for believers. What relationships around you need to be fixed? And why not fix them? I would tell you this, it's time to forgive, not just for forgiveness sake, but because Christ has forgiven forgiven us. An interesting fun fact is it's easy for us to look at other people and name reasons why they shouldn't be forgiven. But as soon as we do a wrong, we look at the person and immediately want forgiveness. And we think we are worthy of it. Look, we all make mistakes. But Jesus' forgiveness is offered to you so that you can forgive others. Third thing I want you to understand from this morning is why not show the love of Christ to our family members first? Sometimes it's easy for us to show the love of Christ to a complete stranger. But when it comes to our family, it is complicated. It's difficult. It takes work for us. I think if Christ has shown you his love, he has adopted you into his family, why not show the love of Christ to your family first? One of the most complicated parts of a, of a relationship is our family. Nobody can hurt you quicker than somebody that you allow close in. Look, it's hard to heal from those things. You can't just continually put band-aids on it. But the reality is this. Our responsibility as believers is to love them fiercely to show forgiveness often and to stop doing things that we need forgiveness for you go Jeff I was good till that last one but you don't understand what goes through my brain I'll tell you the more that you mature in Christ the less you hurt those that are close to you Maybe the reason why you are hurting so many people is because you've not grown here. Let me illustrate. Any of your kids ever take a toy from somebody else and when they wanted the toy back, they hit them with it? Was that just my kids? It's crazy. That as children, we only know how to fix us. Any of your children ever come to you and explain what the problem with the teacher was? The one that's been doing it for 20 years? 
look, shame on us for parents at looking at our kids and thinking it's the teacher's fault. We have to begin to train our kids to grow and to mature. Look, teaching them to be friends, good friends. In the same way we mature in our relationship with Christ continually. I promise you, the closer you get to the Lord, the less you hurt people that are around you. You begin to see them and love them the way that Christ has loved you, and you begin to look for opportunities to serve and to care for them. So let me close with this thought. Do people know that you love the Lord by how you love your family? One of the greatest representations of your love for Christ is the way that you love your family, the way that you love your spouse, the way that you love your kids, the way that you love your siblings. Why not fix the relationships that may be keeping you from being the example of Christ that you need to be? Everybody would bow their heads and close their eyes just for a second. And I would ask that at this time, everybody have their heads bowed and everybody have their eyes closed. The worship team is going to come forward and sing a song of invitation here in just a second. For the sake of prayer and me spending time Monday morning and Tuesday morning, praying for our church, praying for our congregation, How many of you would say, Jeff, just please pray for me. I've got a problem with a family member. And just by slipping up your hands. And a majority of the room here, thank you. I challenge you this week as you read scripture, as you mature in your faith, ask God to give you a way to forgive them. Ask God to begin to heal the hurts that have been caused to you. And that you would show the love of Christ in a way that seems almost impossible to you right now. Dear Heavenly Father, when it comes to the family, this is the most complicated relationship that we ever are in. Father, none of us choose our parents. (laughs) None of us choose the family that we're going to be a part of. Lord, you place us in there. Father, you place us for genuine purpose. Lord, I pray that you would be with everybody that's struggling with 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 a family member. Maybe it's somebody that is married into the family or maybe it's somebody that uh, is kind of on the outskirts. Lord, I pray that you would help us to fix the relationships that we have with people. Lord, not just for their sake, but for our sake and that we would represent you well. Father, it intrigues me that instead of sending your brothers away and just letting them not believe that you appeared to them also. 
Father, for those that are here this morning that don't know you, that are still questioning whether or not you're real, and if they can place their faith and trust in you, Father, I pray that you would help them to see you the way that Mary and Martha and James did, and to begin to believe in you. Father, may you be lifted up and glorified in everything that's done this morning. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray, amen. If everybody would stand, our worship team is going to sing a song of invitation. Maybe God's put somebody on your heart. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's somebody that you're close to. That you just have, have stopped working on that relationship and just kind of cast it out and discounted it. I would ask you to spend some time praying as the worship team sings. If you're here and you don't know Christ, you say, Jeff, I need to know a little bit more. I'll be standing here. One of our elders will be standing at the back. If you have a question about your relationship with Christ, please come see me. As we sing these songs, or this last song, I pray that on your heart, whatever family member that came uh, to mind as I was speaking, or that you would just begin to pray for them and look for an opportunity to begin to heal that relationship. Why not fix our family relationship